Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Durhaj. everyone's uh, Roxanne Hodge. Thanks, thanks for tuning in again today. I have a colleague that I've known. Suanne, I'm going to say we've known each other now about 20 years because I've been gone from uh, the consulting situation that we were involved in. So what, thanks so much for coming on today. My pleasure. So uh, Suanne is a, a workplace mental health specialist and, uh, you know, an area that obviously I speak about a lot uh, in my arena with my background. And Suanne's... Um, she also went to uh, the same uh, university as myself, University of Toronto, and where she has an undergrad in psychology and uh, a leadership um, adult design degree. Is that what it is? A master's? Yeah, I have a master's in counseling and a master's in adult education. So, so you a double master's. Okay, I didn't read the second one. Awesome. So we, uh, she's, she worked in uh, with private and public sector. She's uh, um, really been involved with uh, mental health training in the workplace. So I thought we would have her on to share some of her wisdom about really what's happening out there in uh, the workplace. And mental health, um, and you keep hearing it, and we keep seeing it in environments for sure, Suanne, it's on the rise and it's continually keeping um, going up year after year. So let's talk a little bit about kind of your space and what you're doing out there with mental health in the workplace. Thanks. So my my um, goal is really to to sit down and have honest conversations with employers and leaders and different stakeholders in the workplace about their experience at work. Um, so we talk about you know mental health on the one hand, and we also talk about mental health problems and mental illness. Um, and that space, uh, the, the space like you talked about, mental health problems, mental disorders are continuing to increase. Uh, depression uh, is a single leading cause of ill health and disability worldwide and certainly here in Canada it accounts for the majority of people being off work or struggling at work but we're also I also want to talk to workplaces about men mental health you know the the health part of mental health the resiliency and coping skills that people need um, and in fact I was listening to one of your uh, previous speakers talking about coping and resiliency skills for youth um, we really have a bit of a coping crisis going on. So it's about teaching people skills to be healthy and to cope and to protect their mental health. And also working with employers to design plans to not only keep people healthy, but to be able to respond effectively when people struggle, because the fact is all of us struggle from time to time. Um, and although more people are talking about it uh, than ever before, which is heartening to see, uh, there's a lot of stigma that exists and it's a barrier uh, for workplaces and that's uh, driving up the costs. So why, well, from your perspective, you're out there and I'm out there. Why do you think there's such a drastic, when we, we were in consulting together, there was an increase. We knew that year over year, the short-term claims were on the increase. The, the long-term claims were in the increase. Uh, you know, we would track things like incidental absences and what were the needs uh, for strategic planning with different environments to keep people at work and healthy. And we're talking 10, 20 years ago. And it's just continued to become, to stay, to, to 
increase at an exponential rate. Why do you think that's happening? It's interesting, you know, like you said, we were kind of pioneers back then, you know, talking about something that nobody wanted to talk about. So the good news is people are talking about it, um, and employers are talking about it mainly because of the costs associated with mental health problems. Uh, and those costs, even though we're talking about it, for many employers, they still continue to increase. And I feel like part of the problem is that employers are, if they're doing anything at all, it's usually really reactive, and sometimes it's a little bit of a Band-Aid type strategy. Um, but sometimes employers are just totally hands off, you know, so there's lots of lost opportunity um, and they're not really doing anything that's comprehensive. They're, they're, they're not always appealing to the people who need supports in the workplace. Um, I see a lot of breakdown in leader behavior, you know, that, that leader behavior really drives mental health in the workplace. You know, that leader employee relationship when it's positive and there's connection between the two uh, really enforces people feeling better about coming to work and feeling like they'll be supported if they have any kind of difficulty. But the fact is a lot of leaders don't know how to support people and they're very uncomfortable if somebody's experiencing a personal problem. And I've even heard leaders kind of just say, you know, no, thanks, not for me. Uh, that's not my role, you know, sorry. So that, unfortunately, that kind of disconnect is also part of the problem. Employees who may be struggling um, are living in shame and silence. They feel isolated um, by their colleagues. Um, they're afraid to share what's going on with their leader because they fear that they'll be uh, prejudiced against in some way or discriminated against uh, or, you know, maybe uh, even lose their job. Uh, so it's a very scary prospect. And so that disconnect that sort of drives disconnection and lack of trust in the workplace is probably increasing some of the costs that we're seeing. And, you know, I, I, and I can speak to, you know, we've all been through things in our life. And I want to talk about that spectrum, right? Because every time people hear mental health, they think illness. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, and I really, I always say to people, we, there's such a spectrum and gone are the days which the, you know, people are using their limbs and, and getting those broken. Now, if you think about your day, Sue Ann, and my day, we're constantly using our brain. Right right? And, you know, we get up and we continue to using it and we're on computers and we're consulting and we're writing and we're speaking. And in, in this day and age, how many people are really acting in that capacity? A lot of us. Mm -hmm. And we're not gone, you know, we're not shutting down like we used to. I, I grew up in Trinidad and Tobago. I, I was talking to my dad about this, and, uh, but was, we're having a mental health talk or discussion over dinner the other day. And I said, you know, dad, at home, there were two channels when I grew up in Trinidad and Tobago on TV, two. And it was three and 11. For any Trinidadian listening, they're going to go, yeah, yeah. And it shot, <laughs> it shot off at 11 o'clock. If that, there was maybe a half an hour of something that kids would first of all want, but it ended with the news. So that wasn't the focal point. And you kind of think, I think about it now, I'm talking about, you know, 30 years ago. And now we're, so, we're connected from the time we get up and we know with adult brains, that's one thing and we get tired, but you can think about young brains, which is where we're seeing a lot more, um, you know, uh, issues around mental health, because a lot of these brains that aren't developed are overloaded and kids aren't shutting down because they don't know how to shut down. Right. And that's actually a problem. It's a problem for adults, like you said, because we had, there was never any ground rules, even for those of us who lived in a space, like you said, where there were two, t I remember I lived in Quebec, there were two English channels or three English channels. <laughs> and then eventually we got cable and got the US channels. But, you know, there was a time and there were boundaries and we had 
you know, Sunday was a, a kind of a day of rest and, and so on and so forth. Now we're connected all the time. There's an expectation sometimes at work and in life to stay connected. And as you mentioned, for youth in particular, developing brains, um, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that um, all of the exposure to blue light um, that we're getting disrupts our circadian rhythms. Uh, we're not really teaching people how to connect socially, even though we're using social media for connection. People are maybe more isolated or there's this opportunity to present a a self that's not really their self to put on a mask, I guess, is, is a way to put it. And that challenge to kind of keep up that appearance that, you know, everything is okay, everything is okay when they're not okay. Um, and then you mentioned also the, the, just this pressure that we have, 24-7, 365 stimulation. And it's hard to turn it off. Um, there are some people who actually get addicted to all of that because they just like the drama that's going on around them. So it's challenging, right? And so we're seeing, as you mentioned, young people, um, you know, youth between 16 and 24 um, are experiencing and often do experience for higher rates of uh, onset for some mental health problems. Um, and that happens, that's been happening historically because people move through puberty and into adulthood and often start to experience symptoms. But also we're seeing an increase in the number of people. The prevalence for depression worldwide has grown 18%. So that's just one single illness. It is a leading cause of health problems worldwide. And some of the evidence suggests that, you know, the constant pressure, constant stress, constant blue light that we're getting from all of our devices has has affected our brain function and our circadian rhythm and it's a, it's impacting our overall health so. so let's talk about um employers out there are they obviously the bottom line and i will go to the bottom line because that's where the pocket as soon as the pocketbook gets impacted we start talking about making change strategy wise mm -hmm. What kind of shifts have you seen, let's say, in the last 10 years around really putting the right strategies in place to impact uh, the bottom line in companies? That's a great question. There are some employers. So a few things that, that uh, note, uh, the Mental Health Commission of Canada has a longitudinal case study program that they launched back in 2013 when the National Standard for Psychological Health and Safety in the Workplace was launched. Um, so for those of you not familiar, I'm happy to send you a link to, to it, Roxanne. And okay. it outlines really um, how employers can go about implementing a, complement, um, a comprehensive strategy to protect the psychological health, the psychological safety of workers. Um, so a few larger employers have participated in that case study. One that I've worked with really closely is Bell Canada. Um, they have, in my opinion, really exemplified what workplaces can do. So they've looked at different dimensions. Um, and one really crucial thing that probably kickstarted them was their CEO, uh, George Cope's own sharing of his personal situation and the impetus to really say, we've got to change things around here. It's not just about money. It's about keeping talented people. It's about having uh, a workplace where people really want to come in and there's happy workers. So they have done uh, really, they look sort of from bottom up. Um, about what they wanted to do. They had been doing some training sort of ad hoc around mental health for leaders in the workplace for a while, but they really decided at a certain point that we've got to make things change. And they started looking at, you know, things like what's driving short-term disability claims? Uh, what's happening when somebody is presenting mental health issues? Um, are they getting support? Uh, from the workplace? Do they have supports outside of the workplace? Um, how can we change the dynamic between leaders and team members so 
there's better conversations happening. And one of the things that they really did is they worked with their insurance provider, I think it's Manulife, and uh, with their employee and family assistance provider and uh, with other providers, and they came up with a strategy that worked. And they looked at things like leader training, but training that's really specifically targeting some behaviors that make a difference, uh, and giving leaders routine training and check-ins around how to apply skills. They also worked um, looking at how to support early accommodation in the workplace. So the goal was to let workers know it's safe to talk about mental health in our workplace, mm -hmm. that you will be treated with respect and we have a lot of resources to help. And the idea of saying, you know, we have support for employees, leaders who get support on how to support you and options for accommodating you early on if you're starting to struggle with no penalty have really made a difference. And what they're seeing um, and they've presented on in some conferences is uh, lower rates of short-term disability. So people actually being off work, uh, less number of cases and duration of, of claims. So mm -hmm. they've actually seen 16 day reduction, I think is the last number I heard in days of absence. When you got 55,000 employees across <laughs> Canada, that's a lot of money. Um, and you know, there's stuff that you can measure, right? You can measure short-term and long-term claims. You can measure uh, employee satisfaction, I guess, like the pulse surveys and things like that, that they do at work. Um, and you can measure what other dimensions really need to change, you know, at work and things like respect in the workplace, for example, um, you know, helping people learn to be, to behave better and setting standards around those behaviors at work. And they, they've also, I think, collaboratively worked with, like I said, a number of stakeholders in their business, including their unions, including grassroots employee groups, including training, uh, creating peer teams in some aspects of their business. So they've got, you know, mental health peers that are trained um, to talk to colleagues and encourage them to reach out to support resources. And they've got resources for support and, and even good coverage for mental health uh, benefits. So if somebody needs to speak to a counselor, um, and both of us know that can be difficult to arrange, even if you've got funding, it can be difficult to arrange. Yes. They have uh, resources available and they've got money uh, benefits for employees to use directly for psychological counseling. So they, they've actually seen uh, a reduction in, in the numbers. Um, and maybe they're starting to see happier employees at work. I think that's the other thing. Some things you just cannot measure. Like, is somebody really better engaged at work because they're feeling mentally healthy? And I don't know yet if anyone's really capturing those kinds of numbers. Again, they have employee satisfaction surveys and stuff like that. But that's sort of the next wave, you know, to say, yeah, we've got, we've been able to bump down our costs and we've been able to look at them now. I think they started measuring back in 2010. Stables is another organization I've worked with that's done some very uh, tangible things and also seeing results. Um, but they also recognize that seeing results takes time um, and that it really you know, involves a lot. It involves investment from the senior leadership team, not just money, but actual investment. We're behind this program we're going to endorse it and we're going to practice the same kinds of behaviors as we expect our leaders and our employees to demonstrate. Um, and that constant sponsorship, um, of course, they've been, Bell in Bell's case, they've been actively uh, involved in the Let's Talk initiative outside of the workplace. And they've seemed to marry that very nicely with what's happening inside their workplace. So I know that change is possible. Uh, you know, have they invested money? Yes. But are they making money? Is there a return on investment? Yes. The answer is yes, there is return on investment. But it takes really taking a, a comprehensive look. And I'll just point out one more thing um, that you mentioned, I think is worth it. You know, we, we've gotten better at dealing with broken arms and injuries and accidents and hazards. Um, you know, many of us nowadays are knowledge workers anyway. So, it, you know, we are working 
working with our brains, but even in the workplaces where injuries were happening, businesses have really, because of laws in, in Canada, have really invested heavily in making sure people are protected and there's first aid, first aiders on site. So the number of physical claims has really decreased. Um, but what I'm hearing from people is the number of mental health claims is just increasing and increasing because the workplace has no strategy for being able to deal with them. And that's... So I guess that's where we're going to see policy kind of being morphed as we go, because truly, like, I mean, with, uh, you know, WSIB and, and what has happened on, on that end, we're not really seeing that concern anymore. But as we're seeing through the World Health Organization, the impact of depression and anxiety, it's just shooting through the roof. But Bell is a, a, a fantastic example. And you said also Staples. But, but you know what, if you're an employer or a leader out there or CEO of a small company, and you're going to say, you know, that's all well and good. I don't have the deep pockets like, you know, the bells of the world. What would you say to, a, you know, say maybe somebody at, with a smaller company that's thinking, you know, I have these concerns. What kind of things could I start to do? Or what strategies should I start to um, think about investing in, even if I don't have as much to invest in, in, in wellness? Right. And I think that's a, that's always a challenge. It doesn't have to be a huge financial investment. Um, it can be a couple of things. So first and foremost, the national um, standard for psychological health and safety that I was talking about um, outlines different strategies for large employers, mid-sized employers, and even small employers where you have like 15 people, for example, in a workplace about what they can do. Um, one thing that's really important is that they need to have somebody in the workplace who's an owner of that project and sponsorship from leaders. And then to target, you know, what is it that we want to see improve in the workplace? You know, where are the gaps that we're seeing? You know, is it that we've got a lot of employees who are struggling with mental health issues and going off on short-term disability? What can we do to support those people? a little bit earlier. So part of that, you know, maybe um, just looking at how to change support behaviors in the workplace and help people understand resources are actually available uh, out there. And I know that, you know, money may not always be the easiest thing, but just to look and say, you know, can we train some people in this workplace to help be more responsive if somebody is struggling um, and help that person get access to resources a little bit sooner. Because, you know, part of it is there's a breakdown, you know, there's, especially in, in some sectors, you know, there's this need for people to be on 150% all the time. Um, and there's really not a lot of opportunity for introspection about, you know, what happens when I'm not feeling at my best, right, keeping those, those appearances up. So there are um, campaigns that people can invest in. There's one called Not Myself uh, Today at Work. Um, there's free, you can invest in a free version of it if you're an employer um, or a low cost version, even just starting to have that conversation about mental health um, and encouraging maybe leaders to start talking about mental health challenges with their teams and say there's times that it's stressful here. And then we know that, you know, we're, we're always on a, at a million percent, but there's times that it's okay to set some boundaries. And there are times when we need help and resources and here's where to find them. So, you know, taking some ownership of encouraging people to seek help. Um, one of the most powerful things I've seen in small workplaces is when a leader themselves or somebody who's in a position of leadership shares their own personal situation. Um, somebody who's successful at work and people look up to and, and, you know, will say, listen, I live with an anxiety disorder and I've been living with it for 25 years. And I know that there are people here just like me who struggle. And I want you to know that there's help, right? I'm doing well. Um, there's resources. You can come talk about it with me if you need to. 
Um, because sometimes a person who's struggling on their own may so, be so afraid or not know where to turn for help. So a colleague or a leader who has some, some skills and some training uh, can really be an encouraging force for that person to start taking steps to get better. And at the workplace, even without spending a lot of money, just having more supportive policies, you know, it's, it's not so much about the what is the, the how, you know, my body language, um, you know, am I showing the person that I'm interested and I'm caring? Um, are we really open to having this conversation with the person? You know, do they really feel like they're part of a team and a valued member of our team, no matter what, during the good times and the bad times? And I think if you can start sending that kind of message out to people that we're a family and we take care of each other and, you know, we have each other's backs, um, people feel supported, right? Because I mean, everybody like gone are the days. And I heard that, you know, 10 years ago, we're doing so much more with less. And I know that the, the world, the way of the world with globalization, things are getting, you know, busier and busier. And there's more competition for, your, you know, for market share in lots of different sectors. So we know how that's going. So it's, it's not slowing down. It's, 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 it's accelerating that much more. So yeah. really, all we can do is look at what kind of things, and I talk a lot about uh, being, you know, relationally transparent. So if I am, I, if I'm your leader, and I am literally looking, you know, making it seem that everything's okay, and there's people around me that are kind of dying on the vine, I'm so disconnected that I'm not recognizing that I'm, I may be stressed, and I'm able to put it together, but how am I accepting the differences of, with people around me to support them in whatever way that they need to be supported? Right. You know, that's a, that's a challenge for leaders. Sometimes I, I think, first of all, many leaders I've met, I've done a lot of training with business leaders and with mid-level leaders. A lot of them struggle themselves. Um, anytime we have conversations about mental health in the workplace, I usually will see if I have 25 people in the room, I'll usually see, you know, probably about 80% of them that are really engaged in the topic. And sometimes people get so comfortable that they'll share their own now more and more now share their own experiences. Uh, and then I see about 20% of people um, who just are so uncomfortable with the topic. Sometimes they seem so awkward because they're not used to having conversations about it. And that it's funny that 20%, you know, maybe about two or three of them just really are quiet the whole time. Um, and, you know, it's easy to assume that they don't really care. Or there's a lot of stigma. But what happens often is it's those one or two people that will come to me in private after the session or find me on LinkedIn and say, I'm really struggling for a long time myself. You know, we're talking about helping employees. I'm scared, you know, because I think I have depression and my life feels like it's falling apart. So I think that, you know, leaders do struggle. Um, sometimes they're good at, at covering up and, and once in a while, right, we all have good coping skills, but it's also recognizing that any single one of us, and we sort of talk about there's a continuum might be, um, might be just feeling overwhelmed right now with lots of things that are going on. And, you know, stress at work is just one more of those things that's going on and where I might be really excited and engaged most days, you know, right now with everything else that's going on, I just can't put that happy face on. So I think first and foremost, leaders need to recognize that. Like, am I seeing something that's different, right? In this person, are they quieter? Um, are they, uh, you know, maybe not participating as much in meetings? Are they, um, you know, maybe they're performing well enough, but I'm starting to notice maybe they're late or, you know, they just don't seem to be putting the same emphasis at work. And, and well before it gets to a place where there's a performance issue to get to lean into that space and just say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about you. You know, we know each other and, you know, is there something I can do to help? 
right? That kind of conversation. And when we see leaders who can have that conversation, you usually see employees who feel connected and supported to leaders. So it's just about and I'm, sh- I'm sure you've been in environments where you've seen both. And I have been in multiple environments where I've seen leaders. And I think if only we can clone him or her. right? <laughs> and then there's others that you think, oh, my goodness, you know, and, and they're still going up the ranks. Right. Yeah. That's it. That's a thing. And, that, and they're, they're still performing. They're still um, helping the company get what they need to. And then what do we say yeah. to employers like that, to employees that are seeing that? And they're saying, well, really, what repercussions are there or, or accountability is there for companies that are having someone still climb that is really, I'm going to call them inauthentic versus ones that are authentic. It's a challenge. Like you and I have talked about this in the past. Um, leaders don't necessarily get training around being leaders. And a lot of employers don't identify people to be leaders who have leadership competencies, you know, that, that make them authentic leaders that connect with people. Um, they look at people who've demonstrated a high level of skill on their job and they decide, okay, since they were really good at, we can make them a leader of. Uh, and that's a challenge. And there's a lot of employers who, instead of looking at job fit for leaders, they just promote people. Um, and sometimes those folks don't have the competencies. I, I firmly believe if they want to, they can learn them, right? Mm-hmm. People can learn empathy. Um, they can, for the most part, they can learn to be better listeners. There's skills that make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, the workplace has to reinforce those skills. So, you know, if they see somebody climbing, they, they need to recognize, you know, what, what's happening. Is this person doing well in the workplace? What's happening to the employees beneath them? You know, at a certain point, I'm going to say a leader who, you know, gone are those days where you can be an abusive, harsh leader in a workplace and expect people to perform. So at a certain point, that leader is going to crash. Mm -hmm. Um, People coming into the workplace now, new younger generations expect to have leaders that are more authentic and vulnerable and connected. And if they're not getting that and they're not feeling supported, their performance is going to start declining. And eventually the leader is going to have a number of team members with declining performance and the workplace is going to start saying, you know, we can only replace so many people. Why is there so much turnover on your team? Why are we losing people who seem to have such a promising start in this organization only to see them flounder? So I think workplaces actually start taking a look at leaders like that. Um, and hopefully, you know, um, from a prevention standpoint, they start recognizing it's really important to invest in leader training. Uh, Absolutely, because they may attract them, but, but can you retain them, right? So if you have all these uh, young leaders that are, you know, bringing so many things to them, and then there's that conti- continual uh, attrition of them not being able to keep people, their, their human capital, then at that point it speaks to, okay, what, what's happening here in the leadership team that you're not able to keep these people, grow these people and have them kind of um, stay. And, uh, you know, not that gone are the days where people stay for, you know, 30 years, but to at least have that uh, trajectory where they're, you know, growing it within the company. And then maybe they leave for different reasons, not because they're thinking this is an unhealthy environment for me. Right. That's a, it's an interesting point. And I think there is often, we hear about it, you know, there are people who come into a workplace and they don't leave because they don't like the work they're doing. They don't like the people and they don't like the culture. So part of really understanding and promoting a mentally healthy, psychologically safe workplace starts with looking at your culture and looking what's going on and what kind of culture do you want to you know, project in the workplace. And some workplaces have to take a, a really hard look at some of the behaviors like incivility that go on mm-hmm. um, in the workplace. The national standard, again, that I, I talked about uh, identifies uh, different competencies and variables for workplaces to look at and, you know, leadership development is one of them. Um, you know, the culture 
of the workplace, uh, the level of civility and respect. So those kinds of things, you know, you have to, you have to think about, you know, are we a welcoming culture? Do we take care of our people? Do we understand what the psychological demands are on people? You know, like the type of work they do. And I think that's another area employers uh, like Bell have gotten good at doing is understanding the different psychological demands or stressors that people face on the job. You know, whether it's trying to compete in this high, you know, high energy 24 7 365 environment and there's a lot of people like that or um, people like for example paramedics or um, you know emergency room uh, personnel who face uh, really high levels of traumatic imagery every single day or dealing with people um, in acute distress uh, it's helping give them tools to be able to adjust to their environment that's a, a major uh, area of just understanding you know what's going on so even a small employer can do that mm-hmm. start to say you know what kinds of stressors are people facing in the workplace and what can we do to give them better uh, tools and I'll call those those coping skills, right? Little mm-hmm. micro skills that they have to deal with the kinds of challenges that they're in rather than just kind of throwing them to the wind and letting them figure it out. So again, um, employers can start looking at that and leaders can also start looking at how can I encourage my team members to develop problem solving skills and stress management skills? Um, how can we sit down and have conversations about the challenges that we're having in our environment and work things out together as a team? Um, that kind of stuff. So it makes a a huge difference in terms of promoting better mental health in the workplace, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Even making it okay to say, you know what, today I'm not feeling great. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm really, I'm just having a bad day. And people understand that that happens sometimes, you know, and there's support. And who who can't relate to that? We've all had those. You think, oh, this is going to be that kind of day. And being able to say that to even your team around you or whatever, because I'm sure within your team, people have also felt the same. And then if if you're the leader and you say that, then they go, oh, okay, well, if he or she is able to to, to share that, uh, what they're feeling internally, then it's like, okay, to say, you know, yeah, well, you know, I had a sick kid last night or uh, my mom or dad's ailing or, you know, um, whatever's going on, because like we know, people bring themselves to work. And, you know, um, I often, often think it's like that wheel, like most of us can kind of have that wheel continue. But if there's too many stressors going on in the different systems in people's lives, eventually, you know, they're going to need that mental break to be able to kind of figure out what they need to put in place to start functioning as best as possible again. We all, I, I can think of multiple times in my career that I've gone through that, right? Yeah. Me too. And I, I can remember myself being a leader. Um, and I think I'm pretty vulnerable generally with people. Not, I try not, I have, there's boundaries around all of it, but to let people know once in a while that it's a hard time, or even as a team to say right now, you know, we're going through a lot of change. I can see people's nerves are frazzled. Let's talk about it. You know, mine yeah. are too. It's okay to feel frazzled. Let's talk about what we can control in this environment. Um, I happen to have a, a leader, you know, Jerry Smith, uh, late Jerry Smith was my yes. leader. And he really exemplified like mm-hmm. authenticity as a leader. He was wow. just, yes. he just checked in with people and he made it his business to check in, not to force you to share anything you didn't want to, but just to come and sit by your desk or give you a phone call and say, how's your week? Um, and I, you can talk about business, but he said, but really, how are you, how are you coping with it all? Mm-hmm. Um, sounds like that was a bit stressful for you. What, what can I do to help support you around that if it happens again? That kind of stuff, like I said, that goes such a long way to making somebody want to come to work even when they're having a bad day because they know that it's okay. You know, it's okay to say, hey, I'm having a bad day and I need a little bit of support today. Um, and also to understand that somebody else might be having a bad day tomorrow and we can be there to support each other. 
Right. And, and I think it's just kindness and gentleness, right? Because we all, the levels of, that we were working at when we worked together, it was, the pace was high, we were traveling, we were doing lots of different things. But even the kindness or the gentleness, or just, you know, if I, if, if I knew my team, I, I could come in and kind of talk to them about my world. And, but like you said, with, within professional boundaries and all those things, but then I could just kind of understand that I may be traveling for the next three days, but I, I still feel that connection when I do come back to the office to be able to let people know that, you know, other than business, this is kind of what's happening in my world. And I think that just creates a, a space that allows you to, to just relax and be yourself. And optimally, if I'm functioning, then of course, you're, you're going to get maximum productivity from me. If I feel like I can't relate and I, you know, I'm stressed or, you know, business is stressful and home is stressful and lots is going on. That's where I, we get into that concept of presenteeism, which is con the concept for others who have maybe never heard that term is I show up at work, I give you maybe 60% of productivity. Uh, you know, I, I f fly under the radar. I don't go off on anything but you don't get me a hundred percent or, you know, at that optimal functioning, which is what a lot of people do. And that's a hard thing to measure. you like presenteeism is challenging because you could have someone at work, of course, not really working right. or you can have someone at work and they're just going through the motions and they're getting the job done, but they're not feeling really good about being at work. And sometimes it's harder for them to identify. So again, as you know, a leader, it's okay. It's about saying, you know what, if you're not okay, it's okay not to be okay. You know, there's, there's resources we have that are here to help support you if you're having a bit of a difficult time and let's talk, you know, if there's anything I can do to support you and, and let's talk about what may make a difference here in your work world. So again, I want to point out, you know, when we give people opportunity also to connect and, and to add value and I'll use the word a little bit of latitude on their job, right? Involvement and influence. We generally see employees who feel a lot more appreciated at work too. So there's lots of things leaders can do to really uh, make a difference. Lots of things employers can do to really make a difference. Um, so it's really about having conversations with people, maybe sometimes one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes in a broader context about, you know, all of us struggle, right? And there's options here to support you here if you need them. And, and, that, and that your strategy should, should be aligned with your sector and your demographics of your population and your age and the type of work. It's this, there's no one fit all. And I mean, I know with me, when I worked with companies, uh, you know, over my tenure with uh, health and wellness, every environment was different. Um, there was certain, you know, if it was a female environment like healthcare, um, work-life balance was important, shift work, accommodation, childcare-related right. concerns. So I think it's recognizing what is the need to keep people mentally well and at work for the most part. And, you know, and then if people do go off work, that we're treating them the same as if it's a medical concern. And I, I know with return to work programs that have initially when we were at the inception of, of, you know, kind of being involved at that end, that people would, you know, get the phone call or the card, just the same. That was something that I know was slower coming. And hopefully I would think that that's probably happening a lot more with the return to work today. Would you say that that's happening? Yes. Return to, okay. So one of the things we really encourage workplaces to do is create, first of all, have connections. We have connections with people um, all the time. Um, I, and you know, whatever the reason that someone's off, whether it's, you know, a maternity leave or a disability leave, you know, having connections with people so that they feel connected to the workplace, that they know that they're part of that extended uh, family in the workplace. Um, one thing that can really help, of course, is if somebody is away from work is having their leader 
connect with them. Mm -hmm. uh, if, assuming the employee wants to hear from them, but just having that connection, it's not a work connection here. It's just a, a, a personal connection to talk, you know, to say, um, I'm thinking about you. I'm wishing you well, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe update them on some, some non-stressful news that's happening in the work environment, just to, to help them feel connected and to hear a little bit about what's going on in their environment. That makes it so much easier for someone who's been off work and maybe feels afraid. Uh, you know, let's face it, if you're a high performing employee and you suddenly start to go through a really difficult time in your life and maybe um, your performance and your relationships at work start to suffer, you, you're probably pretty scared about what's going to happen when you get to work. And not only that, I mean, you've got a person also living with symptoms of a health condition and managing the treatment and the, their own, you know, self stigma about what's happening to them, all that stuff. So having people who can connect with them and say, I'm here and, you know, I'm ready to, to connect and, and I'm here to support you when you get back to work uh, makes a big difference, right? That person's going to feel a lot more supportive when they get back. Um, it makes the transition a lot better. And, you know, there's things that employers can do also to return to improve outcomes when somebody who's been on a disability leave comes back to work. Um, one of them is to make sure that people have the opportunity to return a gradual on a gradual process. We know that progressive return to work, for example, makes a really big difference. It's a best practice in most industries that have large insurers managing their disability claims or large disability management companies. In small employers, I don't always see that. Sometimes right. back after being away for, you know, four to six months for whatever the, the reason, it could be multiple reasons, and they're like right back on the job. So it's really important to, to be connecting with the employee, their medical provider, and consider, you know, they may be ready to come back on a very short-term basis or gradual basis, and that's part of their treatment plan. It actually helps them feel better. It helps them build their self-esteem and their stamina little by little so that they can get back to um, where they're best, you know. So I, I think there's lots of little things, again, that workplaces can really look at that do make a difference in terms of supporting the mental health of their people. Uh, and there's, you know, even if you pick one strategy to focus on and champion, um, it makes a difference, right? If you're truly invested in, it doesn't have to be money investment as much as sometimes time investment. So let's talk about what you do out there. And if ever, you know, you're doing lots of things, you're doing lots of training, consulting, um, you know, so where could, if people are wanting to have a conversation with you, they could be a small employer that's looking, like you said, a lot of uh, small employers may not have um, return to work uh, policies or things in place. I know you do some work with that. Where can people get a hold of you and what kind of things do you do out there that people might be aware of and, that, and where can they reach you? So I'll send you a link to how to contact me. I have a website. It's called suemmaisland.com. Um, the, the type of work I do, I, it really ranges. But one of the things I'm really invested in doing with employers, large or small, is talking about how they can enhance mental health in their workplace. And I'm talking about mental health, not just dealing with mental ill health, but improving outcomes for people. Uh, making the workplace a better place to come to, um, you know, partnering with businesses like yours to help support better leadership skills development. So, you know, one area that I really am focusing now with smaller employers is helping them understand where they can make a difference um, in terms of better managing some of the disability claims they have and looking at things like opportunities to support employees who are struggling. Um, if you don't have an infrastructure where you've got employee and family assistance programs and a disability carrier in a lot of small organizations, they've got an HR professional who's also their occupational health and safety professional and their manager of operations and has a you know, myriad of responsibilities. You know, how, can, how can we come in and be a bridge to support them uh, when they're dealing with situations, whether they've got somebody maybe who is starting to struggle and they don't know what to do? 
um, how to support them in identifying options to keep that person functioning well at work if they're capable of staying at work um, and how to connect with that person if they are away and help to transition them back into the workplace. So that's one area I, I work in. I am seeing a lot, a big spike, of course, also in workplaces where they don't know how to deal with mental health crises. And, you know, in a larger workplace, you know, the larger your workplace, the more likely you are to see someone who is in crisis. It could be things like suicide. I hear a lot about that. I've had uh, recently a few employers call me where they've got employees who have active psychosis uh, and they're having active psychotic episodes at work. And it's scary for the employee. It's scary for the workplace. It's scary for the team. So around how to manage that, how to, how to diffuse uh, crises. So a lot of work, again, around mental health first aid skills. So I'm a, an instructor for the Mental Health Commission and helping employers learn those skills, you know, so they've got somebody on board. Um, you know, again, whether it's that small HR person or a couple of identified people who can be there uh, to help de-escalate mental health crises, um, anxiety attacks, again, panic attacks happen very frequently at work. So these, you know, skills can be learned. They don't take a lot of time to learn and they're not all that costly. Uh, you can take a mental health first aid course in, in around uh, pretty much anywhere in Canada for about $195 to $250 for a two-day course um, and learn um, skills that actually could make a difference and even save an employee's life. Um, so those are things that I'm sort of seeing spike now because small employers sometimes really struggle. Um, and of it's course, a, of course. A real crisis on their hands. Mm. Uh, like I said, I've had a few where uh, suicide risk has been high or there has been a death by suicide and they're, they're coping with the aftermath and realizing we needed to do something different here. So that, that kind of area is a growth area. I'd like to see people getting ahead of that curve. Um, right. But understanding that there, these are real risks that take place and, and that they can be, there are tools uh, that are not expensive that they can use to help manage them. So there's some point to start and it doesn't per se take a lot of money. Correct. You know, like I said, it, it may be um, identifying one or two key people in your workplace, um, putting them through a course like mental health first aid, um, just so they learn some basic skills, um, maybe doing a little bit of work with leaders, right, to help them also understand that sometimes they're on the forefront of being able to see when uh, somebody might be starting to struggle because they have that day-to-day -day relationship with their team members. Mm -hmm. And even if there's not a lot of money for skills development with the leaders, you know, if they've got someone that they can come to internally um, that can support them to have a better conversation with their team member, it will make a difference. Awesome. Well, this has been amazing. And I know you and I can probably talk for hours because we're, we work in the same wheelhouse. So again, thanks so much for spending the time with us. And for uh, anyone listening, I think it's, you know, it's going back to, again, the basics. Yes, we are living, um, you know, in that, uh, that knowledge economy today. And we are using uh, our brain capacity so much more than we're probably realizing you talked a bit about blue light and the impact of, um, you know, our young people not being able to have basic conversations um, where they co can co-create connection. So that's being lost. And, you know, some of the basics about Sundays at my, Sundays at my house, we were either, this is the Caribbean though, at the beach or we were having naps on a Sunday, but we were all home. So some really, really simple things that now we've lost where now we're 24, seven, seven days a week, connected and uh, in that space. And that's really depleting our, our mental well-being and not 
mental illness because that's a spectrum because oftentimes it's a, it's a small percentage of the population that would end up on that on that end of the spectrum so being aware that there's things you can do um, obviously to reach out to people like uh, Sue Ann uh, should you need um, some information as an employer that's fantastic so she could strategize and around my wheelhouse is around authentic leadership so as a leader, I offer uh, skill development and coaching in that arena. So if you're ever needing any information on me, please uh, go to Roxanne Durhaj Consulting. Okay, take care. And thanks again, Sue Ann, and we'll chat with you soon. Oh, my pleasure, Roxanne. Great okay, care. take care. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.